Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Booth Podcast. This is the local sports show back from our brief break of one week over the holidays. Hope you ate your turkey, ate your ham. Hope you opened some good presents. Hope it was a great time. I am joined, as always, by Davey O'Doyle. Dave, how's it going today? I got a belly full of Christmas cookies. You know what I mean? I got a Bengals win, a big Bengals win on the weekend. Uh, you know, just just excited about it, man. Just excited. Uh, ready to talk some college football today. Spoiler, that's what we're getting into. But I know we got some news before that, so let's get to it. All righty. And we are also, for the first time on the local sports show, joined by one of our founding fathers here at the booth. It is Mr. Kalen McFadden Carver. Carve baby, how's it going today? Boys, I am pumped to be here. Listen to the show every week. You guys break it down. Break down the local sports that sometimes, you know, I might not have my uh, my finger on the pulse. You guys are fucking very in tune with that. We'll have to bleep that one out, Rich, already. But that's okay. I'm just excited to be here. Nice little drive-by shot on the intro from Dave, but that's okay. Big Bengals win. Okay, I'm ready. All right, we'll start things off here with some CFL news. In our short week off, we've had some things arise. We had the schedule come out. It's some controversy over this schedule. The league going the way of the unbalanced schedule more West versus West games than West versus East, East versus East than East versus West, things like that. How do you like it, Dave? How do you like the new schedule? I'm honestly not really opposed to it. I thought even this last season, there was a, the scheduling was really weird. I mean, it was due to the COVID stuff. We didn't go to the East division for a long, long time from those West teams. So really I'm not actually that opposed to it. I mean, it's not traditional, but with all this COVID stuff wrapping up, nothing's really traditional. But, like, I saw people upset with it, but I didn't really have a huge problem with it. No, you're going to make more money with your West versus West games. Yeah. yeah. That's really the whole thing about it. What you're saying is, like, you play more in your conference. Yeah, so. A so regular season. Usually how the CFL schedule works with the number of games – You'll play everybody in the league twice, once at home, once on the road. Two teams from in your division, you will play a third time just to make up the okay. amount of games. Because there's only nine teams, right? Yeah. Right. right. And there's, it, there's five in the West and there's four in the East. Yeah. Okay. This right. year it changed a bit where they added another team from your division getting a third game, taking away one of those games from an East team. So for the Riders – we play, I believe, BC, Winnipeg, and Edmonton three times. I don't remember Edmonton, but yeah, BC and Winnipeg, we did. I remember those ones. And then we only play Ottawa once. Yeah. So it's a bit of unbalanced, but. I feel so. like, and this is just as a complete outsider, anyone that knows me, there's a reason that I don't talk CFL with you guys every week. But I feel like would that not be <clears throat> almost like a better gauge as to how good your team actually is? Like playing intercon, like I'm just relating it to AFC NFC. It's like if we, you know, 
if your team plays the NFC once a year, it's like anything can happen that one game. But when you play a team in your conference three times, isn't that going to be a, at the end of the year? You're like, okay, we know pretty well how good each team is, like standing wise. Exactly, those are the teams you're going to see in the playoffs. Right. Yeah. In, yeah, in theory, yeah. In, in theory, yes. I think the only thing that it kind of takes away is because usually the West is so strong, it doesn't give the East teams as much to gauge where they need to fix. You know what I mean? If right. one East team is dominant, but they're nowhere near as good as the West teams per se, right? they will not know. And I mean, I guess people just want to be able to predict a great cup matchup. Like I said, I don't have a problem with it, but I understand what they're saying. I I guess a thing that some fans might be a little upset about too, if you're like an Ottawa fan and say, you don't get the riders at home, you don't get to play the riders in Ottawa. You don't get that. I guess it's called really called the rider bump. When the riders go and play in a different city, there's a bump in ticket sales. Yeah. People want to watch the riders. There's rider fans and, and all over the country. And that's the same thing. Same thing with Winnipeg too, right? Yeah. If you're one of the teams you miss out on the Winnipeg bump because Saskatchewan and Winnipeg are both that way. That is kind of nullified by now the new revenue sharing yeah. system between teams that has been put in for next season. So we'll see. I like it. I like the new schedule. I like it's unbalanced. It's you're going to make more money when you play interconference games. And I mean, right now the CFL needs to make money. Let's just face it too. Like I'm pretty sure the ratings are going to go up a hell of a lot more for a fourth or a third, uh, like Winnipeg Saskatchewan game than they are for Saskatchewan in Toronto for no reason. Right. Stuff right. like that. Exactly. Moving on from the schedule release, we then had the announcement of the new general manager in Ottawa will be Sean Burke, formerly of the Hamilton Tiger Cats, spent 15 years with the Tiger Cats as the senior director of player and personnel. So good to see them fill that position. I mean, it, really, how would an average fan be able to gauge if that's a good hire? Yeah. But when you actually look at out of all of those East teams, Hamilton is by far the, the most thriving, well, well doing franchise top to bottom from like even management down how they're managed and everything. So when you look at that, picking Hamilton's good and the guy with 15 years of CFL experience, like that's probably from what we could tell as an outsider, not knowing much, probably a pretty good choice. Right. Oh, definitely. I think, I think if you see a guy who's been in this league for 15 years right. in a player personnel position, that guy should probably get a GM job. He should should get a look. He should definitely get a look. And I think I like the move from Ottawa going with a first time GM and not bringing someone else in. Yeah. Sean Burke gets to make this his team. Did you see, did you see the thing sconge where his Twitter handle was like Ty cats Berkey. And then it was like Ottawa's hired GM at Ty cats Berkey. And then he's like, yo, I should change that Twitter handle. Yeah. (laughs) That is uh, unfortunate. <laughs> even I saw Ottawa tweeted like tagging him at Ty Kent's birthday. I was like, that feels weird. <laughs> yeah, I saw him and they changed it after, right after that. And he like tweeted out, hey, thanks, Ty Kent's, but you know, I kind of needed to change this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too good. Then we move on to the team really going into rebuild mode. And I think they picked a good guy to do that with. Returning 
to Edmonton, it is head coach and general manager Chris Jones. A great D- signing for them. The D tackle for Kansas City. Yes, the D tackle for Kansas City is or the, now or the, the head- former the former punter of the Dallas Cowboys, Chris Jones. All of the above. All of them. Okay. Would you be? Would you think it's an accurate comparison to say? In a lot of ways, Chris Jones is not as legendary. Like, you can't say the legendary status, but like the Bill Belichick of the CFL. Just in the way he really builds teams, I think so. You look at the current Riders team, and it's still a Chris Jones team. Yeah. I'd say it's because he's he's a lot more, I'd say, cutthroat. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you're a fan favorite. It doesn't matter whatever. If you don't fit in his scheme, he will let you go. He does not care. He will build the team in his image. He will bring his defense in and instill it, and he's been having a lot of success doing it, right? 100%. And speaking of him being cutthroat, we saw today from Edmonton announce the release of 11 players, including big names, Derek Dennis, Sir Vincent Rogers, Jonathan Rose, Terry Williams, Armani Edwards, Chris Kasher. These are not no-name guys that were getting released by the team. This those, team is those, going those, into rebuild mode. Those first two were former, like, offensive linemen of the year. Yeah. And he had no problem cutting them because they don't fit what he wants, right? Exactly. Uh, I know if I'm Riders GM Jeremy O'Day, I am probably giving the both of those former offensive linemen of the year a call because yep. this is a team that is in win-now mode. And even with a guy like Sir Vincent Rogers, who's definitely on the tail end of his career, he's got, like you said, before we started recording five good years left. So bring him in to win the gray cup now. Yeah. That's what I mean. Especially with this team being so close, we've seen them so close. It's not, especially the fact that Sir Vincent Rogers has been around the CFL. It's the thing you hear all the guys say, you, you should probably, if you can play for the riders once just to know what it's like. And he's at that point in his career where he can pick and choose where he wants to go, what he wants to experience. And being a part of this team to win a, possibly go on a run and win a great cup in front of the hometown fans would be something unbelievable. Oh, it sure would. I don't care what you got to do, Saskatchewan. Go over the cap, get fined, sign anyone you need, win the great cup this year. Yeah, literally nobody will be mad if the next two years after this, we have to pay the consequence if we get one at home. Exactly. On a last bit of CFL news before we move on, there was the question going into this offseason, what will Montreal do at the quarterback position? They had both Vernon Adams and Trevor Harris under contract for next year. Looks like it's Vernon Adams. Vernon Adams has signed a contract extension with the team, and Trevor Harris has been released. It's. I remember when I sent you that on Twitter when I saw that. Yeah. And that's just such a weird choice to me. Vernon Adams has been by he's Vernon Adams is the definition of a quarterback who's boom or bust. This man will hit a deep touchdown or he's going to throw a gross interception. And there's not really an in-between. I don't understand the logic of going with that. As I said, they're not getting as far as I know, a new offensive coordinator or anything to change the whole system. So I'm confused what they're doing. I said, maybe that's just me. Maybe I don't think he's as good and maybe other people see a lot more in him. But I just think it's weird. Why would you choose him and not a proven commodity like Trevor Harris? I do too. I wonder if it's, yeah, part of the we want to groom in-house and be with the guy who's maybe a little bit younger, but... Or with the money thing? Like, I don't know. Money thing? I'm not sure, but 
it puts some other teams in an interesting situation. Of course, we're Ryder fans and we had this conversation a couple times is would it be worthwhile to bring in a guy like Trevor Harris to challenge Cody Fajardo for the starting spot? For me, I, I can see the value in having him on your team because this is the year we want to win the great cup at any yeah, cost. Yeah. If something happens to Cody, because we know how much he loves to throw his body around like a weapon, right? Yeah. If he gets hurt to have somebody else in the backup, but when we've committed to him this much, I don't think yeah. if we're going to sign him, we need to sign him up as a reliable backup, not as to have a QB controversy. right? Yeah. But I think that does put it out there. And I think this is kind of the way I see it for sure with Saskatchewan is Cody Fajardo didn't have his best year. In his first year as a starter, he had a Western MOP season. In his second year, he had some struggles with the deep ball. So in the third year, I think you need to bring in a reliable backup who can win you games when Cody maybe gets injured or maybe has to relinquish the starting spot at some point. It can't be a guy like Isaac Harker. No. Right. This team needs... We wouldn't be having this argument about him coming to Regina if it wasn't the home great cup year right this is the only year i would apply this to this otherwise i would be on board 100 just let cody develop right but yeah definitely that brings us to the end of the cfl news for the past two weeks i believe i'm sure as the offseason progresses there'll be more to come and we'll bring it to you but as this is the local sports show we have some immediate local news that we need to talk about We are now in one of the best times of the year in Canada, and that is the time of the World Juniors. World Juniors. Hockey is king in this country. There's no denying it. And when you see Regina Pat's own Connor Bedard go off for four goals tonight at 16 years old. 16. 16. The only 16-year-old to get a hat trick in the World Juniors since Wayne Gretzky. Holy smokes. Heard of him. Yeah, man, 16. 16, four goals in the juniors, one more, and breaks Canada's record. Like, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Crazy. Um, It's crazy, like, the amount of (sighs) – in our lifetimes, there's never going to be a time again where there's just like a lull in, in for athletes or like, you know, young studs all across sport. It, it, 16, he's doing this. Jeez. What the fuck am I doing? I'm almost 23. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We're, we're talking about him. Stay tuned to the booth for some more World Juniors content. We won't talk too much right now because I think we're going to have some exclusive podcast episodes for the World Juniors with Carve and with our own hockey analyst, Alex Hicks. Alex Hicks. (laughs) So with that, way to be a hero, Hicksy. Way to be a hero. Way to be a hero. With that, we will move on to what will be the main segment of this episode, and that is going to be something we haven't talked about at the booth before. Right. Not exactly local sports, 
but something different to bring you. Well, we're in maybe some lulls of local sports, and this one is doing nothing but heating up, and that is college football. Who doesn't love some college football? Guys working their asses off to make it to the pros. Nothing to lose. Playing all out. Boys, how do we feel about how this season in college football has gone overall? It was kind of crazy. Well, it was, I mean, COVID year and stuff like that. I mean, last year too, but like it was, it was wild. There, we just talked about it. There's never going to be a shortage for talent again. Dave, you and I were talking about this. This upcoming draft could be one of the deeper drafts in recent memories where there's just studs at every position. Rich, like you said, like, guys just playing f- f- for their life like this is this is their dream this is their goal i love college are, are we gonna are we gonna bring up specific controversies about college football or do we want to avoid that because the transfer portal and the potential tampering things have absolutely turned college football on its head already right that was kind of the biggest story of the season i think was there is now free agency in college football. There's it's you're a free agent. Yep. There's free agency. Yeah. And it's, you're a free agent. If you want to be, there's Mm -hmm. no contracts or anything in this league. You get to choose if you are a free agent or not. And the, the real question is, does it hurt college football or does it make it better? So, I mean, here's, here's the thing. as you mentioned, it is free agency because now it's very open, not hidden shelved that you're getting paid. You're a college athlete. You're an elite college football player. You're getting paid to play, which is fine. That's not the argument. Everybody knows they should have been paid a long time ago. Yeah. But the problem it's great, but it's also awful is if you, like you said, if coaches leave like Brian Kelly, he left. If, uh, Oklahoma's coach leaves, right? If you go and you take these players that you recruited, that you've developed with you, they have loyalty to you, they will leave a top program to go to a different top program. It's great for that one program, but not great for the other program, right? Yeah. There's loyalty, there's allegiance. It's it's messy. There's not a lot of set rules to regulate against it at this moment. So I think the next year is going to be the guinea pig year next season to see how much wild transfer shit goes down, figure out how much of it was good, how much of it was bad, where the tampering needs to be stopped. And then hopefully in two years from now, the rules will be regulated more and make this a lot cleaner. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the, the thing of it all too, is now college football players can legally make money off their likeness. Right. And that is showing a bit in things like recruiting classes, I, I am very happy as it as a Texas A and M fan. We have <laughs> the top rated recruiting recruiting class in the country right now, and it does have part to do with Texas A and M is the only current Texas team in the SEC, and mm-hmm. that means that the players going to this school are of high market value for their likeness endorsement deals for these players are high. So 
teams like Texas A&M and other schools, high-ranked schools like that, are going to be more appealing than they once were, even though beforehand they were Texas A&M's, Alabama's, all the SEC teams, Big 12 teams, all those Power 5 conference schools were more attractive than your any other conference schools, but the money is a powerful factor now. Yep. We've seen no, some weird stuff in college football. Like, I mean, this one's not weird because we know exactly why it happened. And we know for a fact, like I think for a fact, the, that number one high school recruit was at cornerback and he went to Jackson state. So he could be with primetime. Like we know mm-hmm. that dude's going to be there for two years max and then leave for an sec school. We oh, know that's going to sure. happen, but even stuff like that, like call culture ball, just getting absolutely wild. It's wild. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking awesome that it's wild. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's awesome. It's yeah. Uh, but I mean, <clears throat> like now, it, like it's just weird that, like, is there, is there such thing as a commitment anymore when you commit to a school? Like, you're, you're committed until, you know, the next... You're committed until you don't want to commit anymore. That's it. You're, you're committed rule, until right? you realize, like, oh, shit, my personal brand or my skill set has surpassed my school. Right. Like, you... and, and that's the rule where they need to make this tampering thing or this thing. They need to get more set on these rules, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I, think, I don't know. I'm not the mind to decide how it'll work because I don't know the ins and outs of recruiting and the transfer portal and everything, but mm. you need to figure this out because a coach leaving and wiping out all the stars on a team is a problem. Yeah. A little bit. I think, I think your real thing here is you don't want any more Tate Martells. Right. Tate Martell started out committing to Texas AM, decommitted, committed to Ohio State, went to Ohio State, transferred to Miami, didn't like how things were going in Miami, transferred now to UNLV. What? What is going on here? Hey, man, pick where you want to go. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, decide. Yeah. Yeah. But when it comes to college football, we are currently in the best time of year for college football, and that is bowl season late bowl season we are mm-hmm. solidly into some of these bowl games too of course the best ones take place around new year's yeah but yep. we are solidly into a few good bowl games a couple great ones coming up but you can't go through this without talking about the covid of it all there have been some canceled bowl games there was recently the san diego county credit union holiday bowl as well as the Barstool Sports Arizona Bowl have both been canceled due to COVID concerns, as well as different teams pulling out, like Texas A&M had to pull out of the Gator Bowl due to a COVID outbreak. Fuck. I'm pissed. I'm still pissed. This happened like a week ago, and I'm upset still. As you should be, as as you deserve to be. (laughs) That was a good-looking game. I I was excited for that one. Texas A&M versus Wake Forest. I was I was like these teams feel like they match up well. Mm-hmm. Ugh, just sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough too because this was like last college football season was and like college football season of 2020, like the first COVID year, it was, you know, dealing with okay, these aren't just professional entities, like they're not 
professional teams, they're schools. So what do you do about that? Now we're two years into this thing and I, no one really knows what the best answer is. Otherwise, guess what? We wouldn't be here, but you know, you got to look out for player safety, I guess, and stuff like that. And it's, it's unfortunate. And, and hopefully, you know, in the next couple of years, hopefully next year, maybe we won't, uh, we won't have any of these bowl games postponed or canceled or substituted or anything because those kids work hard and the coaches work hard and, you know, they deserve to get some shine, boost their stock up and just sucks seeing it canceled. I'm not the only one who had a team here in bowl season though. Both of you, I believe had teams in bowl season carve. If I'm not mistaken, you are still an Arizona state fan. Are you not love ASU? Okay. So you are taking on Wisconsin in the Las Vegas bowl. That should be a good one. I think. Should be a good one. Uh, I mean, Wisconsin is always a good team. Wisconsin is a lot less scary this year. Uh, seeing as arguably the NFL MVP is no longer running the ball 25 times a game. Uh, Arizona State, I, I'm i a fan. Them and you, those are kind of the two teams that I like to keep an eye on. I always keep, you know, finger on the pulse there. But um, should, be, should be a good game. Should be a good game, man. Dave, your recently college football allegiances have changed you are now an lsu tigers fan i love the pick i love the pick it there's kind of a manufactured rivalry between our two teams i don't know if i would really call us a rivals but but lsu is taking on kansas state in the texas bowl yes sir I, I love it when we get like no Texas teams in the Texas Bowl. In the I Texas love it. Bowl. <laughs> yep. Yeah, this is, it's going to, like I said, I'm interested to watch the game just because, you know what I mean? We have three or four really good players who aren't playing in the bowl because it's a six and six LSU team playing in the Texas Bowl. They're like, yeah. hey, I'm going to go to the NFL. And this is the kind of last game before the Brian Kelly era takes over yeah. as he left Notre Dame to come coach. LSU try his hand in the SEC. He's a winner. He's a winner through and through. See if you can get it done in the in the best conference in college football. But it's going to be one of those weird transition games. You know what I mean? A bowl game for a program that's not used to being in such a lowly bowl game. So it'll be a, an interesting little watch. It definitely will be. But the meat and potatoes of this all of bowl season is the college football playoffs. We got number one Alabama taking on number four Cincinnati and number two Michigan taking on number three Georgia. These look to be some fun matchups. Let's start off by previewing number one versus number four Alabama and Cincinnati. My... I, I want to say this isn't as much of a blow as some people are saying it's going to be. My, my heart wants to say that. And some of the stats back it up. Some of the stats back it up. This is a really good Cincinnati team. Yeah. This is, and the thing about this team is they've been good for the last, like, four years, right? Yep. Luke yep. Fickles brought this team to a 44-6 and six record, and this is just – an as an AAC team, right? This year we saw them 
get a big win over Notre Dame, which is like a team that's been contending in the championship for the past two or three years, right? So this team's kind of been good and kind of didn't get their nod. And this year is finally the year where they got the nod. Um, I think the thing that I it's it's interesting is their strength is defense, right? Yeah. There's their strength specifically is is their corners, right? Sauce yeah. Gardner and then the top DB of the year is Kobe Bryant. Yeah. And when you see that, it's interesting because John Mechie went out for Alabama. He's not playing. Mm -hmm. Right. His ACL's blown. They still have Jamison Williams, but after that, they kind of need someone to step up Alabama, right? And Mm -hmm. is this the game where someone's going to step up and take the reins when they have two elite cornerbacks in Cincinnati on the other side? Well, that's the thing here is Cincinnati has two elite corners. And honestly, this Bama offense it's still Alabama but there was three elite players on this Bama offense it was Bryce Young the Heisman winner the quarterback is Jamison Williams the receiver it was John Menchie the receiver and now John Menchie's out so that is two all-stars on that offense right and I think it's interesting because like you really when you look at it this game still should be because Alabama is so good Bryce Young is still a 4,322-yard 4, passer, right? He's the, the Heisman winner. He's going to find ways to get the ball out there. But then you look, and it seems like such a push because, you know what I mean? Cincinnati has 18 picks, and they've only allowed 10 touchdowns in the air all year. So, I mean, those are some pretty good stats, right? I think the biggest thing for me that I take from this game is Cincinnati has to play nearly perfect football to win this game because that's how good Alabama is. And it's tough when you see Desmond Ritter out there and he's thrown six picks in his last seven games, right? He's been turning it over as it's been deeper in the year, more important. And it doesn't get easier from here. It's not saying that they, they can't win because they can, but they need to play nearly perfect football. Ritter needs to find his star deep threat receiver, Alec Pierce. They need to be perfect playing this game. Otherwise they're in a lot of trouble. 100%. Yeah, like they <clears throat> thing is like Cincinnati has had awesome year, like undefeated. I think they're the only <clears throat> undefeated team left in the playoffs. Right. Um, Desmond Ritter, you know, there was talks of him maybe being a first round talent QB. He is he's shown flashes, like you said, he's been turning the rope, which is always alarming against <laughs> let's call a spade a spade, the greatest college coach ever. And a team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes, a team that's very well coached, a team that's disciplined. And like you said, Bryce Young, he won the Heisman for a reason. I think he's, if I remember correctly, his TD to interception ratio this year is something like 10 to 1, 11 to 1 maybe, which is absurd. You know, doesn't turn it over in big plays. Mechie is a big loss, but Jamison Williams, man, he can take the top off of any defense. Jamison Williams versus those corners in Cincinnati is going to be so, so fun to watch. Let's, I don't, I don't want to keep being this guy to bring up more odds that Cincinnati has to overcome, but the only time that Alabama's ever lost in the semifinal was the year they gave up 200 yards to Ohio State and seed. You know what I mean? That is how they were susceptible. The one time they lost, and the strength of the Cincinnati team isn't running the ball on offense, right? That's just how it, how it is. And we, the matchup for this is definitely Bryce Young against that defense. Cause that defense only allows 3.3 yards of carry, right? That's pretty good. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nate Robin, but Brian Robinson for Alabama is a good running back. He has a tackle like Evan Neal, who's projected top five pick blocking mm-hmm. in front of him. But it's, it's scary that you want to pick best against best. And then that leaves your other unit, right? It's, you still have on the other side, you have Will Anderson, the winner of the Nagurski trophy this year, 15.5 sacks, 69 pressures. 32.5 tackles for loss, an FBS record. It, Terminator. It's it's scary what might happen to this team because they need to play flawless football from top to bottom. They need to understand their assignments and execute. And I don't even think that, like, I don't think um, you – I know you're saying, like, I don't want to be the guy that says another odd they have to overcome. That's fair. That's it's, Alabama it's, has earned yeah. how Alabama's earned that pedigree of right. no, you this is the here's the list of what you have to overcome, okay? And it is long, it's a laundry list. Will Anderson, you got Henry, Henry T, you know, uh, you got Jordan Battle, one of the best safeties coming out of college in, in the last couple of years here, and of course, the guy on the sideline that's what it comes down to is you look at Bryce Young, Jameson Williams, John Mechie, uh, Will Anderson, Henry Toato. Ooh, sorry, man. A uh, hell of a player. If you're listening, um, Jordan battle. Bama has these guys every year. It's because that program is just, it's prestige is unbelievable. There. Yeah. I mean, when I looked at, I looked at the odds for this one and, you don't get a ridiculous spread like 13 and a half point favorite Alabama without earning that. Right. Because that's, that's the reality of what Cincinnati has to say. Um, I, when, when I said, Hey, Cincinnati's strength isn't running the ball and that's a challenge to them, I guess, to run the ball. And when you look at it, it's an interesting little timbit that they're running back. Jerome Ford is an mm-hmm. Alabama transfer to Cincinnati, right? You have a little added, I need to get back at this team that wouldn't use me right. But said it's it's a long, it's a long shot, and it's gonna be something else for the first ever non-power five team in the playoff to beat Alabama if it could happen. And to bring back what the college football playoff has been over the years, there has always been a blowout. Yes. We look back to 2014-15. You had Oregon taking down Florida State 59-20. to Made Jameis look stupid in that game. <laughs> then the next year, you had Alabama taking down Michigan State 38-0. Then the next year, you had Clemson taking down Ohio State 31-0. Then the next year, you had Alabama taking down Clemson 24 to 6. Then the year after that, Clemson taking down Notre Dame 30 to 3. Then you had the Peach Bowl with LSU taking down Oklahoma 63 to 28. And then last season, you had the Rose Bowl with Alabama taking down Notre Dame 31 14. There's always a blowout. There's always a blowout in the semifinals. And you look at this, and it's not going to be the next game. It's not going to be the next one we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you. Oh, I wish Cincinnati all the luck in the world. I really want to see 
a blowout just to see it. But like I said, you have to play nearly perfect football and hope for mistakes from the most buttoned up team in college football, Alabama, right? That's, that's the long and short of it. You, you have to be perfect. Alabama doesn't have to be perfect, but they will be. And, and at the end of the day, you just got to – you have to have your best game. That goes for all – every player in your squad. Definitely. Yep. And then we move on to the next semifinal. And this – this looks like a good one. This is Georgia versus Michigan. Georgia favorited minus seven and a half. I honestly think that line's too big. I think these two teams match up really well. I think this is going to be a tight one. I also think this is going to be a low scorer. These are two really good defenses. Yeah, I definitely think that's kind of a little bit of disrespect to, uh, to Michigan and to Jim Harbaugh's team there. Like, this is a team that doesn't need more ammo to add. They were unranked going into the year. The only team in the playoff that wasn't ranked when they went into the year. They finally got the monkey off their back and they beat Ohio State 42-27. Not a close game. They blew them out, right? This team is a team that has something to prove, honestly, that they deserve to be here. Because, I mean, winning the Big Ten is very impressive, but you still hear the whispers like, hey, did they really deserve it that much? Or is there an SEC team that deserved it more? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. Um, For me, the interesting part of this, a really interesting part is that both of these teams, A, are great on defense and B they both play run heavy ball control offense. This is going to be an old school slug fest. And it's, it's interesting that they play the exact same strengths, which are just smash mouth football. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm a hardball guy. All right. Um, and it is, this one's tough. This one's a toss up. This one is, like you said, their strength. They line up very, very well. I think that line is, it it is disrespectful almost, but it's also like, you know, Georgia's proven it. They have that acumen of, you know. Yeah, but when was the last time they won a national title? Exactly. At the end of the day. You can be be great all season long, but if you're going to lose, you're going to lose 41-24 to Alabama in the SEC title game what kind of respect are we supposed to give you? You've been in the championship and you've never made it to the championship game before. That's been the knock on this Georgia team and Kirby smart throughout the past, however many years. And it's really, can you win the big one? And so far they haven't showed us that. Because of how Alabama hasn't quite been the same until the SEC title game. If there's a year going to do it, it's going to be now with Kirby smart, his team and that amazing defense. But once again, the knock, I mean, I don't, I don't not, I have nothing against Kirby Smart in Georgia, obviously. I like the style of football they play because that's my style of football to watch. But when you are going to claim, maybe it's not them, but they're, they're fans and people are going to claim you're the alpha dog and you've done absolutely nothing concretely to show it, you need to, to prove something, right? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of like you said where – you know, <clears throat> the whole Kirby Smart era, the Georgia Bulldogs, you know, they haven't been able to win the big one. That monkey's on their back. They can't they can't get over that hump, right? And this year, what did Michigan do? They got the monkey off their back. Right. 
Jim Harbaugh taking down Ohio State and like you said in a non-competitive game like that's it almost seems like one of these teams is best not destined to win it all but something's got to give right of these two matchups something's got to give and it looks like one team has already proven we can overcome what they say we could let's I, I agree with you but there's some like really interesting stats to break down for mm-hmm. this game that I wrote down because like obviously the big name in Michigan to Aiden Hutchinson right 14 sacks this year even on the other side of that D line David Ojabo has 11 sacks like this is a team that gets to the quarterback and gets pressure and the weakness of the Georgia offense, you could honestly say might be the quarterback because Stenson Bennett wasn't even supposed to be the starter and he's playing and JT Daniels is finally healthy and has rumors of has, he's getting sets. He's getting starter reps at certain sets in the game. So what we all hate so much, there might be two quarterbacks playing in this game. This is not a situation you want to be in with George. Do you want to be the team that's going into a semifinal playoff game with a QB controversy? Right. That is not the position you want to be in. No. Yeah. Like I said, besides that, the interesting thing about those sack numbers is though, Georgia has only allowed 11 sacks this season. And they're going up against a guy with a 14, a guy with 11 and a team that wants to get after the quarterback. Right. So, like we said before, something has got to give in this. There's going to be three sacks or there's going to be no sacks. Something is going to give here, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you look at you look at that Georgia, the Georgia defense, they've only allowed three rushing touchdowns all year. They only average 81 yards a game of, of rushing, right? Because we know that's the strength that Michigan has. Michigan has Hassan Haskins, who has Hassan. over 1,200 yards, 20 touchdowns. Blake Corum's another back who has 900 yards and 11 touchdowns. They average 223.8 yards a game rushing. Once again, the trend that is this game, something has got to give there. That's how a team's going to win. Are you going to be able to shut down Michigan's running completely or is Michigan going to bully them into submission, right? And then on the other side, you look and you have, you have Jameer White, 700 plus yards in the Georgia running game. They rely on him so heavily. On the defense, you have Nicobe Dean. You have the Ben Eric winner, de- defensive tackle Jordan Davis, right? You have guys that can really play, but they're all going head-to-head in the same two spots. So it almost makes you wonder, is this the game where Cade McM- McNamara, sorry, for the starting quarterback for Michigan, is he going to have to come out and pass his way to a win? Are they going to try to get Stenson Bennett or JT Daniels at this point? to try to pass for the win, right? This game is an absolute slug fest. And it's it's interesting to see because you're going to have to impose your will to win this game. Yeah, Definitely. and I mean, <clears throat> like, I've been a big Hassan Haskins guy. Hassan Haskins is, he's electrifying, of course, against Ohio State, having a five-touchdown day. Yeah. Hell of a performance. But this is the biggest stage. You know, this is it. This is, okay, what's going to happen. And it's, it's, yeah, it's so interesting to me that the, both of these playoff games, their strengths line up with each other so well, right. like, or counteract each other, or however you want to say strength it. Strength on strength a lot of it, right? It's it, Cincinnati's elite secondary and Alabama's, I mean, now one deep threat over the top 
just electrifying offense. But yeah, Heisman quarterback, regardless, right? Heisman quarterback, yeah. And then you got Michigan's ground and pound, Hassan Haskins. And on Georgia's defense, you have, like you said, Jordan Davis, who clogs up three gaps himself. Nicobe Dean flies around. You got guys all over that defense. One of the best defenses all year. You look at the you look at the points Georgia allowed per game on the defensive side. It's sickening. It makes you upset. It makes you physically upset looking at it. Yeah, because they like, were. It was a lot stout. of like seven, ten, three, zero. A lot of yes. that, right? Yes, it was insane. Um, I really, man, this is going to be a bananas college football playoff yeah i think the thing that we can't obviously look too far past it but i'll just throw it out now it's whichever of the combination of these two game wins then it is a straight strength on weakness after this right so that Mm -hmm. game is going to be interesting as well but let's not uh get counter eggs before they hatch here for a second i thought you were straight up going to say whichever out of both of these whichever team wins will advance and i was like well (laughs) <laughs> okay well yeah that's how, how semi-final playoffs work yeah. yeah i think it's time we need to make some predictions here though i think we got to pick them what i want from you guys is i want your winners of the semi-final and then just initially i want your national champion as well we're going to post this on the socials for the world to see this is well, getting recorded right now we will I'm sure we haven't talked about this yet, but we'll have a college football national championship preview show coming to you next week. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Well, let's start with you. I have no shame in my predictions this year. I think on our NFL show, shout out that go listen. I think I've picked the lions seven or eight times in the year. So I have no shame. Um, I, We'll start off with Alabama, Cincinnati. It's going to be Alabama. Um, it's going to be ugly. And uh, I'm going to leave it at that. And hopping over to Michigan and Georgia. Oh, this one's tough. This one is tough. You know what? I'm going with Harbaugh. I'm going with Michigan. Michigan. It's the upset. Michigan advances to the national championship in their first playoff appearance under Jim Harbaugh, the uh, second greatest Harbaugh to ever coach. Okay, Garv, you have Alabama versus Michigan in the national championship. Who's coming out on top in that one? Shit. Um, you know what? <laughs> like the last time Jim Harbaugh was in a championship game, he's going to come up just a bit short. We are going to say Alabama will be the 2021-22 national champions. Back to back, says Carf. Yep. Okay, I'll make my picks here. Alabama, Cincinnati. Oh, I want to say Cincinnati so bad. I like the way their defense matches up against the Alabama offense but I can't go with my heart. I have to go with my head and it is Nick Saban. I would be tempted to take Cincinnati plus 13 and a half as a bet. I think there's a possibility this team could keep it within 13 and a half. But like I said before, there is always a blow in the playoffs. So yeah. Can I ask you guys a question about this game? Yeah. Yep. 
make a score because I just wrote down what I thought was going to be the score uh-huh. in these two games this weekend. I want to see how much, how big of a gap you think this is. I honestly think I, I say I'd be tempted to take Cincinnati, but the history of the college football playoff leads me to say Alabama, Cincinnati. I'm going to say that game is going to be Cincinnati still has a good defense. So I will say they only give up. Only 42. Yeah, only. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I think they're going to put up like 14. I'll say 42 to 14. Okay. So, so just we'll, we'll get a little bit ahead because I asked this question. I also picked Alabama. I picked them at 37 13. So okay. almost the same. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I think it's not going to be incredibly embarrassing, but it'll be a solid 24 points, right? Yeah. This yeah, next. I- Next one I'm going to have is a low-scoring affair. Yeah, I had this one low, too. Carve, what do you think the Alabama score is? Alabama, uh, just thinking about it right now, off the top of my head, I am going to go 45-17. Okay. We're all in the same vein of, like, 30s, 40s to teens, right? I'm sorry, Cincinnati. You guys had a hell of a year, hell of a run. Sauce Gardner, hey, let's go. Desmond Ritter, okay, but I'm sorry. This is a different animal. (laughs) When it comes to the Cotton Bowl, Michigan, Georgia, I have been really high on Michigan all year. I'm with you here, Carve. I'm rolling with Harbaugh. I'm going to say it's going to be Michigan. It's going to be low scoring. I'm going to say Michigan wins 10-6. Holy smokes. Yeah. There we go. Look at that. Ooh, spice. Pure spice over here on the booth. And then, so for this game, I also, uh, I made a clean sweep, man, Alabama, Michigan, because I think Michigan is, is feels too disrespected. They have too much to prove. And I think the way that Al, that Georgia lost Alabama and the SEC title game is just, it's a bad omen, right? It's bad for their mentals. It's bad all around. I have Michigan winning this game 20 to 17. Okay. Carve, you have Alabama as your national champion. I'm going to go the other route. I'm going to say it's going to be Michigan. They're going to get it done. I really like that Michigan defense. They're going to get it done against Alabama. Give me Michigan national champs. Dave. Yeah, Alabama, Michigan. I think the difference for me is unless Michigan shows me that they can really pass the ball, um, there's, there's a distinct lack in that game, whereas Alabama might not run as much, but I don't think they're completely deficient at it. Not saying Michigan's a deficient passing team, but when it comes to this kind of ball, you have to be more well-rounded. And I think you don't hear anything about the Michigan secondary or the passing game. And you can clearly define Alabama at every position to have a player that's going to the NFL. Right. So I'm going to take Alabama as well to repeat. Yeah. Okay. Carve, yeah. we've made our cases. Are you sticking with Alabama? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, Okay, yeah. good. Oh, yeah. That's – hey, if we do get that national championship, Evan Neal versus Aiden Hutchinson, ooh, give me that on a plate. I mean, that could tank a draft stock if it goes really bad one way, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or boost one. Well, a little both, right? 
how I mean, how much could either of those guys get boosted? Both, both almost consensus top five picks. I almost say like when you think of that, it's almost I don't think even if Aiden Hutchinson doesn't play that good of a game, it doesn't hurt his draft stock because that's Evan Neal and that's Alabama and you're playing mm-hmm. for Michigan. Yeah. Whereas if Aiden Hutchinson absolutely dominates Evan Eats Neal, that looks bad on you, right? Yes. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. of the position you're in. Dude, there's just so much to talk about with college football. It's the best. It is the best. And we'll have more next week. We got to preview this national championship. Are we right? Will it be Alabama versus Michigan? Will there be an upset? Will it be Cincinnati? No. Or will it be (laughs) who was the most dominant team throughout the entire regular season in Georgia? We will see on New Year's Eve. Boys, any closing thoughts? I just hope we get some great bowl action, which I know we will. Watch watch a bunch of guys ball out, raise draft stocks. Let's, let's go. I'm here for it. Like I said, I guess my closing thought is I hope, sincerely, I hope Cincinnati puts up more of a fight than everybody's thinking they will. I said an upset would be unbelievable, but even from people – are hearing people around the Cincinnati area, football insiders, it doesn't sound like a lot of people are picking a win, but everybody's hoping for a good competitive game. You know what I mean? So I'll hope for that. But yeah, it should be exciting. And I mean, even after that, if you go on New Year's Day on the first, there's a lot of good teams playing Notre Dame, Ohio State, uh, Oklahoma State, you know what I mean? A lot of good games even the next day. So it's a it's a great weekend just to watch football and then finish it with the NFL on Sunday. So get your ass planted in a couch and uh, get ready to watch the best players in football. Lots of turkey sandwiches and, and college football. It'll be a great weekend. Bet. As always, thank you for listening to the Booth Podcast. It's been a great one. Like, share, subscribe. All that good stuff really helps. Follow sure us. Follow us on socials at the booth EC, Instagram, Twitter. Go buy your merch. It's great stuff. We'll be having maybe a couple new items up on that merch store coming real soon. Keep your eyes on it. As always, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week on the Local Sports Show to preview the College Football National Championship.